the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Quinceañeras, every wedding, every funeral, we're all at that Catholic church. St. Francis of the Feces, right on 126. It's where a lot of people would go to church. And, uh, that's just what kills me every time. Hey guys, welcome to the first degree of the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. We are recording in the daytime for the first time ever. Well, not ever, not but ever. in a long but time. It's not, it's not common. It's not yes, common. But it is rainy though. So the mood is set. It's nice and moody. We're having our drinks. We're ready to go. And Billy, what day is it today? It is National Have a Bagel Day. The, by the way, the days to choose from were scarce. Very, very small, but I, I do love, love a, bagel. a good bagel. It's a very Long Island thing. It's a very Long Island thing. Well, it's thing. a very human thing. Who no, doesn't but like a bagel? there's nothing like a New York bagel. Nothing like a New York bagel. That Jack, you don't know. Yeah, she does. She's been in New York a hundred <laughs> times. Jack, you don't know. I don't know. She still know. doesn't know. Right. I don't know. There's nothing like a New York bagel if you're from New York. Well, it tastes different. Okay. <laughs> well, I wasn't born there, that. so I guess maybe I'm exempt from this. So too. you don't know either, Alexis. Apparently not, if that's Billy's thing. It's also <laughs> National App Day. What's your favorite app? My favorite What's app? What's your favorite app to use? Instagram? What's that? Amazon? The Real Real? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, by the way, stick around after episode's done because we're going to kill some time and you guys uh, need to be involved. The special guest. Yes. The special guest. Um, but that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. There's no denying that small towns have an essence about them. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone is connected somehow. And there's something both comforting and haunting about that. And today's case proves that when a horrific murder happens in a small, sleepy town, you might just find yourself connected not to just one person involved, but every person involved. The California city of Fillmore is a tight-knit farm town that sits at the base of the Los Padres National Forest. It's a tiny city in Ventura County, and it sits along the banks of the Santa Clara River. And on New Year's Eve of 2003, Eminem's Lose Yourself was the top song on the charts, which is a great song. And Love actually was in the theaters, which is a great movie. And it's New Year's Eve of 2003 when our story takes place. And it's when a boy who was walking home decided to take a shortcut near South Mountain Road between Fillmore and Santa Paula to get to his house. Through it, he walked, hugged a drainage culvert, and as he moved, he spotted something out of the corner of his eye. He fixed his eyes on what he was looking at. There was something sticking out of a drainage pipe that stuck straight out of the ground, and it took him a moment to process what exactly was in front of him. It was the body of a young woman. She was half naked, and a large branch was leaning against her body as if to support her in the position she was in and keep her in that spot. The police were called to the scene at 10 a.m. 
They approached the remains and could see the dark-haired young woman looked to be around 20 years old. She had numerous injuries that could be seen with the naked eye. They locked down the scene and started processing it for evidence, and it didn't take very long to identify her. She was 19-year-old Valerie Zavala Wilson. And by 10 a.m. New Year's Day, her worried loved ones had already been up for hours, worried about where she was. Valerie's parents were separated and lived in different parts of town, and Valerie actually didn't even live in the Fillmore area anymore. She moved from Fillmore to attend college at San Jose State University and was home for the holidays on winter break. Valerie's parents learned that the reason that she didn't come home, which is every parent's worst nightmare. They were horrified, devastated, and grief-stricken in a way that only a parent who lost a child could be. But despite the incredible grief that Valerie's family was feeling, the police had to sit down with them and learn everything they could about Valerie, including her relationships and her movements the previous day. So they learned that she had graduated from the local high school the previous year. And as a high school student, she got straight A's, she was a cheerleader, and she was a member of student government. And she was described as always smiling, always happy, extremely confident, and perpetually kind. And when she went to college, she was studying to be a teacher, and she was active in the Alpha Kappa Delta Phi sorority. Our first degree today is named Melissa. And oddly enough, I mean, we've set up this small town feel for this episode. She's got a connection to every single person in this story, including Valerie. You know, so I actually remember her, and I think it was like her dad coming to the ranch that I was living on. Um, My dad was a ranch manager, and we actually lived outside of town. Um, And they, our dads must have known each other. And she came over that day, and so I met her then. And she was just this really sweet, bubbly girl. And, like, just, you know, she's younger than me and stuff. So, like, we talked for, like, a bit, and I met her, and she was just this just sweet. That's honestly the best way to describe her. I grew up in Fillmore, which is just, like, north of Los Angeles. Fillmore is a really, really small town. Like, I moved when I was five to Fillmore from Los Angeles. And even then, I knew there was, like, a difference. There was something different about this place. Um, Everyone knows everyone. Everyone is related. I've had guys who accidentally had crushes on their cousin because they didn't even know they were cousins. It's weird. Um, I was, like, the only person who was not related to somebody else in Fillmore. But that's that's the kind of town it is. Everyone knows everyone. They, you know, everyone's all up in everybody's business, whether you want them to be or not. And yeah, it's just, it's just strange. So the police learned that Valerie was staying with her mom the previous night. And she left the house at around 830 to go to a New Year's Eve party in the Fillmore area on Main Street. And when she left the house, she was dressed in blue jeans, a navy blue t-shirt, and blue and white pl- plaid overshirt, like a, like a flannel. Mm-hmm. And before she left, she kissed her mom goodbye and left for the party. Then at 1240, post New Year's, Valerie actually called her mom to wish her a happy new year. And during that call, she told her mom that she planned to drive two friends home in one of their cars because she was a sober designated driver. And after that, she planned to go to the home of her ex-boyfriend, a guy named Isaac, who she dated in high school. 
So with this information, the police had a lot to consider. And the first obvious lead in this case was Valerie's ex-boyfriend, Isaac, who off the bat was an obvious suspect. Isaac and Valerie met in high school, but he was about three years older than her. And it's unclear why their relationship didn't work the first time around, but it ended amicably enough because they were in touch and intending to spend time together while Valerie was home visiting. I knew Isaac from when I was like, like really young. Um, he was a neighbor of a friend of mine. And so when she would have like sleepovers, Isaac was the one guy we were allowed to come and hang out with us. <laughs> I remember playing the Ouija board with Isaac and he was like, I don't like this. It's not okay. And then he like took off. He is just, he's just a sweet guy. Like he was, he was very cool, good looking kid and just really sweet. Like definitely like, like a cool guy, but not douchey in any way. He was just really nice, and I always thought really highly of him. So besides looking into Isaac, the police also want to speak to everyone who was at that New Year's Eve party. And they tracked down a number of Valerie's friends and get the rundown from the previous night. They were told that the party was fun, that Valerie was there, she was having a good time with a bunch of old high school friends and acquaintances. Valerie didn't have much to drink, and remember, she decided that she was going to be the designated driver, especially so because she had wanted to go to Isaac's house after the party. And the party started to die down around 2 a.m. And it's at that point that she offered to drive two people home, a girlfriend named Jenny and an acquaintance of hers named Sam. The plan was that Valerie would drive them home in Jenny's car, and they'd all retrieve their cars the following morning. So another thing that the police learned while questioning Valerie's friends was that her friend Augustus Benola had actually taken a video at the New Year's Eve party. And he showed it to the police. And what they see in the video is a clip where they can see Valerie clearly. It's a big group of Valerie and all of her friends gathered in the kitchen, counting down the seconds right until midnight. Once the ball drops, everyone cheers and screams and is excited once it's actually the new year. And it really is chilling to think about how this happened just hours before Valerie's life was monstrously taken from her. But anyways, nothing seems amiss in this video. Everyone's having a good time. They could see Sam, they could see Jenny, they can see Valerie, they can see all of them just having a good time. So clearly the next thing the police are going to want to do is to go speak to the two people Valerie drove home because it was looking like they may have been the last people to see her alive. So there are a lot of possibilities at play here. We've got the ex-boyfriend, we've got the two friends in the car, anyone at the party, and then there's always the possibility of a stranger abduction and murder. And it's worth mentioning that the police decided not to tell the people that they were questioning this first day that Valerie's body had been found. So everyone just believed that she was simply just missing. And it's an interesting tactic. I mean, it's to yeah. say like, then you don't know what they're going to say. They like, might oh. make some weird admission where they, they assume you won't find the body or something like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or so, they give away something too much. Exactly. Yeah. So now the police want to speak with Valerie's female friend, whose name is Jenny, who she drove home with. Jenny's story was that the party was fun. The drive was normal. Valerie was completely sober and intended to go to Isaac's as soon as she dropped off her and Samuel. But she was dropped off first, so she couldn't really speak to what happened after that. So the next person, obviously, on their list to speak with was the other person in the car. And that was 17-year-old Sam, the high school senior who lived at home with his parents. 
Now, Sam Puebla was attending Fillmore High School, uh, which is where Valerie went, but he was two years behind her in school. And he was a high school football player, and all of his friends referred to him as Sammy. He had also been elected as the school's prom king that year, so this guy was seemingly well-liked by his peers. So they go to question Sam. We're going to call him Sam. And it was Sheriff Deputy Tracy Tilkins who arrives at the home of Sam's parents to speak with the 17-year-old. And they arrived at about 4.30 p.m. on New Year's Day, so hours after the discovery of Valerie's body. But remember, they're not going to tell Sam that she's been found, just that she's missing. Mm -hmm. So when this officer knocked on the door and was let inside, he could see that Sam was tending to a bloody nose. Interesting. And as Sam attempted to stop his nosebleed with tissues, Deputy Tilkins explained why he was there, that Valerie had gone missing the previous night and never made it home. The officer then explained that he believed that Sam may have been the last person to see Valerie before she went missing. So Sam told them that first Valerie dropped off Jenny and then she dropped him off at home next. And he said that before he got out of the car, he wished Valerie a happy new year. They reached across, had a little hug and said goodbye. The interview lasted 15 minutes and the police didn't know what to make of Sam at this preliminary point of the investigation because remember, there's still Isaac, her ex-boyfriend, to consider. By the evening of New Year's Day, friends of Valerie started to learn the truth about what happened. She was not missing. She had been brutally murdered. And people obviously were horrified. And the way they reacted to the news is testament to how much she was loved. Within hours, there were 40 of her friends at her mother's home who got there to console her. The community was shattered. High school teachers who found out were crushed. The high school immediately offered counseling to the students, many of whom knew Valerie well, even though she had already graduated the previous year. And two of Valerie's siblings attended the school as well. So her siblings were there. So everybody was freaking out. And it's no surprise, based on what we know so far, that everyone, when they've heard cursory information about what's happened, suspected Isaac. She was supposed to go over to his house after the party they had dated. It seems like an obvious thing. And interestingly, Melissa, our first degree, knew Valerie, but was childhood friends with Isaac. News travels fast in that kind of town. And uh, I heard about it. And I just remember being at work and having to excuse myself to go to the bathroom because, like, the reality and, like, the, the heaviness of what had happened really hit me. Like, just out of nowhere. I was just, you know, sitting doing my job, and then all of a sudden it was just, like, creeping in that this girl who I knew and I talked to and was friendly with was just now gone for no reason. Just gone. And it happened in my town, in a place where everyone, you know, is not nice, but, like, you know, you take care of each other. Um, you'll always have each other's backs, you know, kind of thing. And and it happened there, and I just... And then, you know, like, rumors spread around everywhere. And, like, I, I think I remember mentioning to somebody what had happened, and they're like, it must have been the ex-boyfriend. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> it can't be him. And, and, and that was the other thing I couldn't wrap my mind around. Like, it cannot be him. It can't be this person I grew up with. I can't picture that at all I think because you know everybody even before the whole 
true crime boost happened, everybody has always been like, it's the husband, it's the ex-boyfriend, it's the closest person to them. That, I don't think, has changed since the dawn of time. So it was on January 2nd, the next day, when police discovered the car that Valerie had borrowed to drive her friends home. It was a 1993 black Toyota Camry, and it was found in the parking lot of La Plaza Market on Highway 126 in Fillmore. At a glance, this location didn't have much significance until they realized that this parking lot was only four blocks from Isaac's house. The police pulled two surveillance tapes from the Texaco gas station that was across the street from La Plaza. But unfortunately, the footage from these tapes yielded nothing useful. But still, I mean, the location was significant. Mm -hmm. And it was becoming clear that not only was the community grieving, they were fearful. They were fearful over this murder and the possibilities of other victims possibly occurring in their community. Everyone was terrified because of the fact that Fillmore was such a small town. Someone killed Valerie and that same someone might target somebody else too. This was like... I had never heard of anything like this happening in my town. I was floored when it happened. But that kind of stuff just doesn't happen in Fillmore. Like, Fillmore is a town that you can leave your car running, the keys in the ignition, and you go run to the grocery store and pick up what you need and come back out. Your car's fine. Nobody's in a mess with you. Just because everybody already knows everybody. And... And so for that to happen in my hometown, just, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was scary. And I, and I remember my mom, like, not really wanting me to go out too much at night and, like, just being really careful because it's scary. But this happened, and you don't know who it is. And, you know, like I said, I was 23, so I was going out all the time. And she was, it, it stressed her out. Like, first of all, she has been all about true crime since the beginning of time and really brought me into it. So it made her anxiety go even higher, you know? And it, like, it made her nervous every time I was going somewhere. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on TheRealReal.com. TheRealReal is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. An autopsy concluded that Valerie had been strangled and beaten severely. She had severe head trauma, and one of the blows to her head had actually ruptured her eardrum. 
And the toxicology report indicated that she had absolutely no drugs or alcohol in her system. And after the conclusion of Valerie's autopsy, her family could start the painful, daunting task of planning their 19-year-old daughter's funeral. And it would be held six days after she was killed. And little did Valerie's family know that as the plans were being made, progress was also being made on their daughter's case. But the police were keeping the information close to their chests as they followed up on promising leads. Because as we all know, filling loved ones in and all of that could really disrupt an investigation. But they were making big leaps and bounds as far as progress is concerned. Right. And Valerie's funeral was held at the St. Francis of Assisi Church, which is essentially the heart of this small town. Everyone attended, her family, friends, sorority sisters from school, Isaac, Samuel, and Jenny. The Catholic Church is located on on the freeway, or not freeway, the highway, uh, the 126 highway, which is like the main road through Fillmore. And uh, it's right across from a grocery store and a gas station, and was where you know, you could hold the most amount of people. And, um, yeah, it's in Tineanalus, every wedding, every funeral, we're all at that Catholic church, St. Francis of the Feasties, right on the 126. So it's, it's not like super big it's just a one story um and they definitely like added on since since then but it's got the parking lot next to the street and then it's just like kind of like a yellowish color church and um and it's got a statue of saint francis right out in front 300 people attended the funeral And Valerie's friends from college even drove down in a caravan from San Jose to attend the service. Every corner of the church was lined with mourners crying for the 19-year-old who everyone loved. And as Valerie's loved ones were mourning, the police were actually closing in on the church. And they wanted to take control of the church and establish a perimeter. And why were they doing this? And here's the investigative moves that the police were keeping under wraps that had led them to try and cordon off the church area. So since Sam's initial interview, the police had work to do in ruling out other leads, which they did. And then they decided to interview Sam again. And the reason for this was that they learned that Sam had actually been implicated in a crime less than a month prior to Valerie's murder. And it's not just any crime he was implicated in. It's the type of crime that is an earmark of a budding serial killer. So the month prior, Samuel had been arrested in connection with a quote-unquote hot prowl burglary in which he stole women's panties. He had a cache of panties stolen from women living in the neighborhood where he lived with his family. And this is concerning for a number of reasons. The first being that this is the exact behavior that the Golden State Killer engaged in before he escalated in his violence. Yes, and a lot of other killers. So all this stuff with Sam and the panties is bad on its own but let's not forget that he was also the last person to see her alive. They now believe that this was their guy. And here's what happened. Once the police knew about Sam's panty thievery, they pressed him and they probed him about it. And since he'd already confessed to them 
that previous month about the panties, he wasn't guarded about the fact that he had stolen the panties. And he told them that he actually disposed of them in the church's dumpster in the parking lot. Now, when the lead detective heard about this, he had one of those incredible detective hunches, which is why he's been promoted to detective. And he liked, obviously, Sam for Valerie's murder. And he read into this admission about where he dumped this evidence of his panty thievery. And as soon as Sam copped to that, the detective knew he needed to get to that church dumpster. He believed that maybe there could be other evidence and maybe even evidence implicating him in Valerie's murder. They had known likely about this admission way prior to Valerie's funeral, but they didn't want to upset the family because they, they knew already that once they found out that evidence was found there, they would be devastated. Yeah. How crazy is that? 300 people are going to be there. Insane. And they were probably just sitting around the blocks, just waiting for them to be done. Um, And they knew it's like, listen, if there is evidence there, they're going to know the place where they, they had this celebration of her life was also the place where she was killed. Yeah. So let's just give them this. I've, I've never heard of this before. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. So, all these police officers in this small town handle the situation with, with grace. You know, they, cause it is a sense of urgency thing. You hear this and you're like, what if they take the trash? What if, yeah. It's like, you anything, don't want any of the evidence what if an accomplice comes in and takes it like, but they waited so that Valerie's loved ones could have, could finish mourning her. Not that they ever would finish, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yeah. So acting on a complete hunch three hours after the funeral, the police descended upon the church property. And it was on this property that the police found numerous items that implicated Samuel in Valerie's murder. The church then became a crime scene, the same church where Valerie's funeral had just been held. And the property was canvassed for hours with metal detectors and dozens of officers who swarmed the adjoining field that bordered the lot. And the search yielded Valerie's underwear, a used tampon, one white Vans tennis shoe, and a black half-loop earring. DNA testing would reveal that the panties, tampon, and earring all belong to Valerie. So as far as the geography of this scene, it turned out that Samuel Lebla's home was near the church, but his neighborhood was just across the way from a flood channel. And it was in this flood channel between his home and the church that the police found Valerie's cell phone. So the, the, church, the church part is the part that, like, really stays with me um, to this day. I so whether you're Catholic or not, a lot of events actually happen at that church because it's so small. There's not a lot of places to go. Um, it's the same place I went to a say no to drugs rally uh, for high school. Um, it's just it's a place that I've been to so many times for quinceañeras and weddings and just going to church with a friend or whatever I'm personally not Catholic but it's just where we all go and to know that somebody could do something so horrible to someone that's so sweet on that ground it just felt so dirty and sacrilegious and just like I just don't know what would go through a person's mind at that time. Like, like I would feel like God is like literally staring at you right there. But I still drive past it now when I go visit friends and 
I just get a little sad that that happened in a place that's supposed to be peaceful and about worship. And, you know, for, for those that believe in it, but it just, for me, it's the place that somebody got hurt and, and taken away. The same day as the search of the church, Sam's home was also searched with a warrant. And it was at this point that detectives discovered something inside the home. And it was one of Sam's jackets that they had recognized. It was the same jacket that they seen him wearing in the video that Valerie's friend showed them that was taken the night of the New Year's Eve party. And as soon as this detective made the connection, they took the jacket into custody immediately. They needed to have it tested for DNA evidence. And once he's in the interrogation room and he's confronted with the evidence, Sam goes into a tailspin. He changes his story three times. First, he said he and Valerie had just hugged that night. Remember, that was his initial story. Mm -hmm. Then he said he tried to kiss her and she declined, which embarrassed him. But then that was it. Then finally, he said that they had consensual sex in a car. So despite all of this, they don't have enough to arrest Sam, even though his story's changed, even though he was the last one to see her, they needed concrete evidence. Valerie was killed on New Year's Day, but it would take months to get the results of this DNA testing that was being done on this jacket that the detective took from him while the house was being searched. And in the meantime, though, because this was 2003, it's not like they're having instant gratification DNA testing. Yeah, It was definitely being used and utilized frequently, but not instantly. So in the meantime, detectives kept their eyes on Sam. And remember, Sam was still a Fillmore High School student. He was a senior. He was attending school this entire time. And uh, it wasn't until May 9th that they got a call. And the police found out that Valerie's blood was found on Sam's jacket. Finally, they could arrest Samuel Puebla for the murder of Valerie, and they also charged him with attempted rape. Everyone was shocked on the heels of Sam's arrest. Sam was meant to graduate from high school a week after he was arrested for Valerie's murder. And to make matters worse, Valerie's two sisters, Kristen and Jessica, attended school with Sam this entire time. So imagine the horror of that, of, of realizing that. And they had a very small graduating class. So it's not like every student at this school didn't know one another. They did. So for months, this guy was passing these girls in the halls, pretending that he was not the person who killed their sister, but he was. So crazy. Crazy. So a number of Sam's friends were interviewed after the arrest, and this is what they said about him. They said Sam always carried drawing books under his arm to sketch the names of friends and caricatures. Uh, Remember, he was a high school football player who was voted prom king, and he was voted most likely to become a talk show host. And he dreamed of going to art school. Another thing they said about this, too, in something I read was that, do you remember when people used to, like, tag backpacks? Mm-hmm. So apparently everyone at the school had a Sam. He was really oh, wow. good at that graffiti yeah. sort of, like, collig- I don't know what the writing was called. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yep. But he would do this really uh, elaborate writing on everyone's backpack. So like, everyone had a Sam, Sam backpack. Oof. It's creepy. So they basically said that Sam was always smiling, breaking in. To spontaneous rap songs with other students, and he was really known as just a genuinely nice guy as far as their perception was concerned. He was a joker. He always knew what to say when others were down. And I think we know now 
what all these characteristics really mean. Samuel is a narcissist mm-hmm. and a psychopath mm-hmm. and a budding serial killer, I think. He's the scariest type of a person because at first glance, and even people that have probably known him for years, maybe their whole lives like him. He's likable. He's charismatic. He probably people would be like, he wouldn't hurt a fly. And that's what is scarier than somebody that is the loner, quote unquote, kind of like antisocial sort of personality. It's true. And Melissa said, and I was reading a bunch of articles that said the same thing is that when people when he was implicated in this, when he was named, people were like, I have his back a million percent. I would die before I'd believe something mm-hmm. like that. And I don't, I'm not surprised by that. To get, to get prom king? elected prom king though, that is You're a, literally the most liked person in the high school. That's a popularity contest. Yes. It literally is. And yes. to, you know, the idea that, so you add that on top, you've been putting away the panty theft thing for now, which obviously is a huge red flag when mm-hmm. it comes to serial killers. The, the attending the funeral and crying with all of the people around him, all of her family, the friends. Attending the funeral is just makes my heart. But fucking so many break. killers do that. Oh, and then sick. and then not only that, attending school, going to school every day with the sisters, and acting like you know. And obviously, there have been conversation. There would have been conversations during that time about it. You know, people are still talking about it. people are still freaked out. People are still mourning. I don't mourning. think he was prom king yet because he was 17 and he, by the time, you know what I mean? Like he's a senior by now. He, it was months prior to the, well, but yeah, proms, are, proms are usually in the spring, but I'm so, saying, yeah. yeah, you know, cause this happened new year. So it probably happened months after. Yeah. So months after is when he was elected prom king, which is crazy. Crazy. He put on the crazy sociopath razzle dazzle that yes. he had to put on. He pro- yeah, he probably he was razzle dazzle was... the fuck out of everybody. So was he already like he was a suspect, right? Yes. So they'd already tested him. It so he was took... like implicated a little bit, at least. But from no the... one knew. Nobody knew. No. Oh, so okay. It's like Isaac was a suspect. Isaac was a suspect this entire time, and it's something we can't forget mm-hmm. because it is the plight of being connected to somebody who's murdered in a romantic way. Yeah. Where you look like the obvious suspect. Obvious. Always number one. Melissa talked a little bit about just everyone. She was living in a neighboring town. Everyone thought it was Isaac. And Isaac had to go to the funeral. Isaac had... And And all eyes were on Isaac, not Sam. And he was innocent. That is a fucking nightmare. That's a nightmare in itself. I I mean, this case is obviously the worst nightmare, but that's also a kind of un touched nightmare in his his own way because it's like he's like who fucking knows what kind of evidence they could find and pin it on him of course because you know there's evidence if they were seeing each other when she was home you know there's probably evidence in our DNA everywhere evidence sexual anything yeah um and they it looked really good to be isaac it really did yeah and he is one of the sort of unspoken victims in this case in a lot of ways because when someone's not arrested for months, imagine he didn't want to go to the grocery store because why? Of course you yeah. don't. Well, and also you're just sitting there being like, the police are probably trying to build a case against me. Right yes. Now. Like, so you're just sitting there with that anxiety, mm-hmm. just wondering what the hell is going on behind the scenes as an innocent person. You have no control over what's yeah. going on. And meanwhile, this other guy, the real killer is doing the razzle dazzle. Is ra- And also doing probably, it well, probably. And as a 
probable psychopath does not fucking care. No anxiety. Just living his life. Probably likes the attention. This guy does not care. Does not care. No, he's passing the sisters in the hall. It's fucked up. So I don't remember, like, other than hearing, like, who they thought it was, when he was arrested, I think, I think that is when I found out who exactly was, was when they made the arrest, because I remember thinking, like, oh, they have been working on this this whole time, because it was, like, as far as, like, what the cops were doing, I remember it being pretty quiet, like, not knowing anything. And then they made the arrest, and it's this kid, and it's this kid that was at her funeral, from what I remember. So that also floored me. Like, how do you go to her funeral? Like, oh, I just, I can't. Um, so then we heard that he's arrested and it's this 17-year-old kid. I was incredibly relieved. I was like that person who like, not gloated because there's nothing to gloat about, but it was like, I told you so. I told you it wasn't him. I knew it. I called it. Knew it wasn't him. And I felt kind of my face restored in my senses to tell whether person, you know, like my vibe was still like good where I can sense whether someone's okay or not, you know? So I, like my face just got restored. Like, yes, I can, I can sense when people are good. I feel much better about myself, which is a bad thing to say, but that's how I felt. And like I said, it, it restored my face because it wasn't Isaac, which made me feel happy. Um, and then made me really sad that he had to go through all of that. You know, to to be suspected, to to have people look at you. You know, in a town where you know everybody. Like, it's it couldn't have been comfortable to go to the grocery store. It's easy to just assume. Like, if I didn't know the story, my first thought would have been, it's Isaac. Because that's just how the story usually goes. Um, why would it be this kid that she dropped off or, you know, a, a girl's not going to leave her half naked like that, or at least, you know, not likely. Right. So most likely your mind just goes to, it must be Isaac. And that's what, you know, I heard like little things here and there, like, oh, you know, it's probably the ex-boyfriend. It's probably him. And even when I heard that, I was just like, it can't be. <laughs> it just, I, I think I entertained it for like a second. And then I was like, no, no, that doesn't feel right. Like none of this feels right. And then I started to question myself. Like, am I, am I the type of thing that just because I know somebody that they're not going to do this thing? And so it turned out that they had even more evidence that the police were holding back that implicated Sam. The police had been able to recover a distinct shoe print near where Valerie's body had been found. And it turned out to be a match not only to his size, but to the specific pair of shoes that Sam had. Sam was indicted and pleaded not guilty to the charges against him. And when the trial commenced, the prosecution had a clear theory in terms of how Sam murdered Valerie. So they believe that as Valerie was driving, Sam had tried to sexually assault her. When she refused, Sam choked her and she became unconscious briefly. When she came to, she was actually able to escape the vehicle and she ran for her life. And Sam chased her and caught her in the parking lot of the church. It was there that he hit her in the head with such force that it ruptured her eardrum. Valerie fell to the ground and as Sam ripped off her clothes and tried to rape her, she was struggling to protect herself. Sam kept hitting her 
Then he sat on her chest and strangled her with his hands. And the defense planned to do something especially despicable in terms of the defense they were planning for Sam. So they were hoping to be able to enter Valerie's sexual past, sexual history, into evidence as an exhibit for the trial, which, in my opinion, is just unconscionable. Mm -hmm. Fucking bullshit. It's disgusting. Luckily, in this case, the judge barred that from happening. Um, And I I read a bunch of articles that said, well, are they going to bar his history of stealing panties then? And it's like, one's relevant and one's fucking not. Yeah. Yeah. Dicks. So the theory, once that was out and the the defense couldn't harp on a sexual past of a 19-year-old, they decided that their theory was this. Sam had consensual sex with Valerie and then someone else killed her. He went home just as he said initially. The trial ultimately lasted for one month before Sam was convicted of first-degree murder, attempted rape, in a special circumstance of felony murder during the course of this attempted sexual assault on Valerie. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, they talked about this a bit in some of the coverage that the rape was not a success. And we know this to be something that occurs in other yeah. sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah, I mean, the Golden State Killer is a great one. I mean, he, he could barely mm-hmm. consummate it's a shock yet children. Yeah. And uh, this was not a successful rape. And they, yeah. they talk about this a lot. And they talked about this a lot in terms of what could they charge him with? Because it was not executed fully. But it's still sexual assault. Of though. course. And that's the thing that, yeah. Um, yeah. The, rape the, does not have to just dude, the, be The a, attempt is just, yeah. this, guy's, this guy would have killed dozens of people. Yeah. The fact that he could go on afterwards mm-hmm. and just willy-nilly hang out with his sisters this guy is a sick deranged scary fuck he's terrifying yeah like i said 17 dude like i said he is the worst kind of person Mm -hmm. because that is the kind of person that can get away with whatever he's doing completely unannounced within like society and that that's scary what beware of that razzle dazzle dude razzle dazzle is never good nope it's never it's never good Mm-mm. It should be a red flag to many people. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, a college student just visiting her family. You know, like she got out. You know, so proud of that. Like, I'm proud every time I hear anybody from my hometown is out about and doing amazing things. Doesn't matter how close I am to them or not close. If I hear they got out and they're doing awesome. I love it. I'm like, yes, get out of Fillmore. Do, do your thing. Just to have her taken away like that, just really, it really hurt. I don't know how you can take someone's life, dump them like nothing, and then go, and then pretend to be sad about it. And then to be so young and so, like, that's the other thing that scares me is that he was a kid. He was 17. How? What happened in his brain that that was like okay for him? Like, just a sociopath was the best way. Like, just straight up monster sociopath. Our first degree today was connected to everybody in this story. She knew Valerie, she was good friends with Isaac, and her brother 
was Best Friends with Samuel. It's chilling, and it really does go to show that when something like this happens in a tight-knit community, it impacts everybody in a way that is indescribable. And I think it's important to consider that this church is still sort of the focal point of Fillmore. Everything happens there. And this horrific thing happened to Valerie there. And the fact that Samuel chose this spot as a place to take Valerie's life is a testament to what a monstrous human being he is. All right. Well, special thank you to Melissa, our first reconnection today. Thank you for sharing your story. And if anybody has a story they would like to tell, you can email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Billy Jensen at Alexis Linkletter at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group to talk everything true crime. And remember to stick around for killing time. We have a secret guest. So remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy bagel day. Ah, oh, should we get bagels? <laughs> Cream cheese. Sources for today's episode include the LA Times, the Santa Paula Times, court documents, and as always, our first degree connections are always our biggest source. All right, welcome to Killing Time, Killing Time, not the Killing Time. All the <laughs> Killing Time, yeah, 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 the Killing Time, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That's showbiz, baby. Certainly is. Uh, on our special episode of the Killing Time of... Oh, oh there you oh, go. Yeah. That's that, it. No. The no. Killing no. Time. No. On this special episode of Killing Time, we have a very special guest. You might know him as Jerry. His name is Jerry. we're going with that that's my real name his name is jared monaco his name is jared monaco you might know him as my boyfriend and i guess you might also know him because he plays in a band called the main okay that's and he also uh sound designs our podcast that's right he's a jack of all trades i try you're pretty good at it long time fan (laughs) first time caller (laughs) well i have been on tour with jared for the for like the past week well on and off yeah um, but, but these two individuals came to Jared's shows sep- back to back, back to back, but separately, but separately. But separately. And we wanted to talk about it because Alexis was sad because she missed the fun. Yes. Because so we'll talk about my experience first. We brought Jacqueline's parents and my parents and my sister and her boyfriend. <laughs> Wait, by the way, th- I- I'm so happy at the fact that now, like I've like, um, What's this word? Merge the parents. No, I've like I've intertwined myself so much with Jared that now my best friend's family's sister's boyfriend (laughs) is getting crazy. It's getting on the guest list for the show. Oh, so no, and my stepmom bought a main shirt and she was wearing it the next day and she's like, Alexa, play the main. And she was like wearing the main tie-dye shirt and playing it. And it was really cute. That is cute. I appreciate it. I would have given her one, but yeah, that's she bought it. No, you gotta support. I appreciate it. You gotta support. No, we had the best time and I was uh 
my dad is like kind of like low energy. So I had to provoke him into having fun. Yeah. So I was just doing the, the throwing the goat symbol with my hand and just putting it in his face <laughs> over and over. Your the dad goat. was having a good time though. <laughs> because I threw the goat in his face over and over until he like thought I was funny. And then, and then he was having a blast, but yeah. didn't he get pissed off because he thought he was going to have a bad time. And then he did have a good time. And then he was pissed that he and didn't then he drink. Was scared. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he was scared to tell me what a good time he was having because he made such a big deal about not wanting to go thinking he'd have a bad time. Oh, my God. Well, I, I met and the him. only reason he went is because I was like, it's my birthday party, Dad. Because <laughs> well, I'm not going to see you. And he's like, all right, I'll go. I met you guys all next door right before we went on. Yeah. And I met your whole family. And, yeah. And I met your dad. And I was like, I don't know if you're going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we had somewhere to sit. Yeah. It was yeah. the, the best. And I also just love the show. I mean, it's yeah. like my second or third one. And I, it's so good. Thank you. It is pretty it's good. So it was a good. fun tour. I'm, I'm, sa- I'm a little bit sad that it's over. No, it was really <laughs> Great. Jared is sad that it's over. It's good to be home. <laughs> I was like, don't you like sleeping in a bed? Oh, it's so nice. There's nothing mm. worse than sleeping in a bunk, I have to say. A bed that in a doesn't... Bunk, in a bunk in a, on a bus. In a bunk yeah. on a tour bus yeah. at 32 years old. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot different when you're 21 and blacking oh. out every night. Except for some, you know, there's something about going on tour that you black out every night. Yeah. Because you how can't you sleep. sleep if you That's can't you sleep. You can't Your sleep. bed moves yeah. every night at 80 there's, miles There's an only hour. so many times you yeah. can break into Tiny Dancer by Elton John on the tour bus before <laughs> it's just like, you know, this is dumb. Is that what happened when you were there? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. No. As we drove around Phoenix in the tour bus. Because, <laughs> uh, yes. it was over. Yeah. So on, on, uh, on the night that I went... Um, uh, we went backstage, had a wonderful time. Well, so the difference between the show that we went in San Diego with Alexis's parents and the show that Billy came to is Billy came to the Phoenix show, which is Jared's hometown That's show. That's where we're from. Everybody. They played at this place called the Van Buren, which is a dope ass venue. So cool. It has the coolest backstage. They have a whole gigantic room with beer and cold brew on tap and a keg. They did it right. They it really, was, it's probably one of the best backstages I've ever it, seen. And a whole I mean, library. Yeah. 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 A library and LPs and yeah. So so Billy came to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He came and met us by himself. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I got to entertain Billy. But then I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> then when we went out into the crowd, Billy was a fucking celebrity. And oh, well, that's all that's to be expected. Do you remember your Lady Gang show? When yeah. Me and Billy walked in late and everyone's like, Billy! <laughs> clapping. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I have to be extra mean to him later. Otherwise, he's going to be unruly. It was, exactly, an, it was yeah. another one of those. And I remember one girl came up to Billy and I'm standing next to Billy and I'm like, if you're in a main show and it's like, you know who Billy is, I'm like, gonna, I might assume that you know who I am uh-huh. as I'm Jared's girlfriend and also Billy's like business partner. Yeah. And she comes up to Billy she's like, uh, she's like, I'm a murderino and like blah blah, and it's just like talking about. She was talking yeah. about murder squad yeah. yep. and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm just standing. I'm like, you have no idea who I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. I believe was that before the show. I think I was there for that. Oh yeah, that was yeah. super fun to watch. Like you die inside a little bit. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I don't fucking care. I just thought it was it was it was pretty funny. But I got to I got to hang out with all of the the girlfriends and wives uh, yep. of the main, which yeah. was which was interesting. Which and you know you get you get along with women. So <laughs> both of you do don't you we do yes. i mean i don't know that's a great qual. by the way that's a very good quality to be to have as a man is to be able to get along with women because mm-hmm. there are a lot oh, of men that like have an ego and like don't like don't want to pretend that they can't get in with girl time and both of you are individually very good yeah. at that me and jerry have a side text chain. we do just you and him yeah interesting mm-hmm. Oh, better, better you, oh, you didn't you know about me. this? Sorry. 
So. No, I don't know your back. And a side text chain between two people is just a text message. <laughs> <laughs> you know I've misused this side text thing quite a few times. Yeah, really, <laughs> and I out myself I, in a group chat. I'll be like, just side texted Billy and told him this. They're like, not a side text. <laughs> now, this is a normal group chat as we usually are. And in. you texted him and then told us about a text you had. Yeah. Not a side text. Yeah. I think you just need to validate like what you're saying, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm not super secretive. No. I don't have a lot of skeletons. I feel like you do, though. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a total lie. I feel like out of any of us, you have the most skeletons. Okay, I'm trying to create a beard for myself. I have no skeletons. I'm out in the open. Yeah. Oh, see? Yeah, just, yeah, it's all, you wear, wear your heart on your sleeve. Yeah. Everybody knows everything. Open book. Yeah, open book. Totally. No secrets here. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> no deep, deep-rooted secrets Mm-mm. at all. Nope. Not like the Hodel family. Certainly not, which we're excited <laughs> about. Yes. I know. Can we, oh, can we talk yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, we can talk, we can about, talk it. about it. Uh, you do it. You do it, Billy. All right. Well, we will be having, if you listen to Root of Evil. Which, which is, by the way, if you have not, listen, <laughs> yeah, listen to, to it. Yeah, listen to it right now, actually. Best podcast ever. I listened to it for the second time recently. It's so good. If you're, yes, your jaw will drop continually in your car. It's fucking crazy. Or, or on your treadmill or wherever you listen to your podcast. A lot of people listen to podcasts at work. We had that, that, that gentleman who is a, uh, a cop talk about oh, yeah. how, I know. how great was that. He said that, he said that his... Our episode kept getting interrupted because he kept on having to go on call. Yeah. That is that what happens cool. when you're a cop. Yeah. I was supposed to DM him to talk about stuff, and I forgot. Yeah, we'll but that. I will. Yes. I will. Okay, anyways, we finish your stories. thought about Root of Evil. Yeah, so so um, the ladies from Root of Evil will be on our podcast talking about Black Dahlia mm-hmm. and George Hodel. And one of the craziest, definitely the craziest story, uh, true crime story in Los Angeles history. and possibly I would say in... In modern times. In modern times. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's the most insane. Twisted. Connected. Fucked up. Twisted. In the illusions in that story that are made to like famous artists and Mm -hmm. celebrity. It's just unreal. No. And I, when I started listening to the podcast, I had no idea the connection to like surrealism or anything. I'm a huge surrealist fan. We went to the Dolly Museum uh, recently in Spain and that was a crazy tie-in yeah. that I was not expecting. The, cor- the connection to the surrealism is why I think it's like the best story of our of our lives. Yes. Yeah, like I don't think anything is going to be. It's so horrific. Like, and time has passed, and it's obviously not okay, and it no. doesn't make it any less horrific. But we're also removed, removed from it now yeah. that we can see sort of just like the weird thematic things in that story. Yeah, and it, I've never seen anything like it. No. Ever. Yeah. So that is coming up on the first degree. Yeah, we're very yeah. excited. We don't yes. have a, we don't know. It'll be in the next few weeks. Next few weeks. Yeah, it'll be in the next few weeks. Yeah. I concur. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Who knows? Jerry, what day is any it? commentary? Um, he no. hasn't listened to it yet, have you? No, not yet. Oh, I've been busy. I've been on the road. <sighs> yeah, there's not much time to do anything on the road. There's so, all you do is have time on the road. <laughs> all I do They'd is sit around putting their thumbs on their It's just such an butts. easy excuse, though, to be like, oh, I haven't been, been on the road. This yeah. is, but the funny I'll thing is, is you it, can't man. make that excuse to me because I have also been I on know. tour. I know. That was to Lex and Billy. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to go with it. No, no it's more fine. excuses, all right. mister. All right. 
Um, have we killed enough time? Do I we think have, we've killed. I up think we've killed time. nine yes. minutes and forty seconds That's of time. Perfect. You know, I always I can feel that ten minute mark creeping you up do. on you. You have a gift, and I know you have a gift. I do. It's the only gift I have. Um, all right. Well, until That's showbiz, next baby. Week. That's Star Wars, baby. Ooh. Ooh. I saw that meme. You you feel it? I didn't like you post didn't... that. Someone yes, else did. did. No, someone tagged me in it. Oh, but didn't you comment on it? Yeah, I said, "All right, all right, all right." <laughs> Under <it>. wrong <laughs> kind of thing. That's all right. It's not a Star Wars. Thing. Yeah, so. <laughs> it was Matthew a, McConaughey Star Wars. No, yeah. I just commented that for no reason. Oh, that's Showbiz Baby. We don't know what we're talking about. That's but Star- but that, that is like, Showbiz I like, Baby. I like that Star Wars Baby. That's Star. That's Wars Star Wars baby. Yoda Baby. Oh my god, <laughs> Baby Yoda. That's Star Wars Baby Yoda. <laughs> that's, Yoda. that's enough now. <laughs> Goodbye, Bye. Baby Yoda.